Welcome to the TCM Challenge, a monthly movie review podcast where Matt and I challenge each other to watch some classic films. This month's movie is 1979's 10, and I'm Matt in Buffalo. And this is Matt in Arizona. Oh, Matt, how does it feel to have our first kind of dirty picture? It feels pretty good. Into it. It was weird going like, oh, there's going to be real boobies and other things in this review. I know. Well, welcome Charming. to the late 70s. Yes. And like sex comedy romps, right? So we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, let's see how we got here today. So, Matt, we flipped the script a little bit. Wanted to give you a double dip so we could have you hit the holiday season and get your opportunity at your horror flicks. So it was your call once again, and you had the following films to pick from. First was 1971's Red Sun, Charles Bronson flick, a train carrying a Japanese delegation with a ceremonial sword for the president for President Grant is robbed by bandits. 1946 Night and Day, a Cary Grant musical fanciful biography of songwriter Cole Porter from 1950 uh, Hunt the Man Down. A lawyer uncovers the secrets behind a decade-old murder. 1976's documentary, Grey Gardens, the unbelievable but true story of a woman and her daughter who live in a world of their own decaying mansion. And finally, 1979's 10. Matt, what brought you to 10? Two things. Um... I was, of course, familiar with 10. Uh, most people who are, have a passing with, uh, you know, movies of the 70s and pop culture knows the still of Bo Derek and Cornrows running down the beach. So I knew that that was this movie. But the other reason I chose it is because it's our first Blake Edwards movie. Um, and actually, while I was away visiting my folks uh, this last week, I not only watched 10, but I was able to watch the first couple Pink Panthers just to get a uh, a feel for, for Mr. Edwards' work. It's been ages since I've seen the, the Pink Panther, Panther oh, films. I, I had never seen it before. It, had never seen it before, and it was great. I loved it. Okay. So before we dive, in, dive into the movie proper, let's always kind of baseline what was cinema in 1979? So for Best Picture, the nominees were, and the winner was Kramer versus Kramer. Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah. Yeah. All That Jazz, Apocalypse Now, Breaking Away, and Norma Ray. And the top grossing films, I don't know, some little pictures here. Uh, I don't know, maybe a down year for cinema. But weirdly, Kramer versus Kramer was the number one box office. Man, different era, right? The Amityville Horror, Rocky II, Apocalypse Now, Star Trek The Motion Picture, <laughs> Alien 10, The Jerk, Moonraker, and The Muppet Movie. Uh, I love the, also, 1979 is such an interesting year. Yeah, uh, The Black Hole also came out this year. I'm sure it was just outside the top 10. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. So, uh, well, I, I guess. I actually, I was going to say, I actually, I actually hear Alien just barely squeaked by the, be- the black box. Or the black, <laughs> whatever it was. Black, black hole. A classic. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, okay. Well, should we jump right in? Um, yeah. First thing, um, you know, I think we'll kind of be all over the place because, again, plot isn't necessarily the main element of this film. 
I will say right off the bat, man, this is just a leisurely stroll through a film. Very, I mean, this is not a negative, right? It's two hours. It's a little long, but the music, just the pacing, the tone, uh, it just feels like sit back, kind of relax. This is just going to be, we'll hold your hand through like a kind of a relaxing film, right? I don't know. The tone was just kind of nice all the way through. Yeah, I mean, I I watched this uh, back home. It was like the end of the day, like around nine o'clock at night. And yeah, you're right. It was very nice, relaxing, <clears throat> very nice, uh, cool score from Blake Edwards's often partner, Henry Mancini. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Mancini was all over it. Uh, and also, like, technically, this is shot in what, 2.39 or whatever, um, full anamorphic wide, right? Right. And it just adds such how perceived quality weight to it. It's not like a comedy kind of framing. It just feels yeah, it like makes a the, more legitimate cinema type thing. I mean, the, for, for a comedy, this has like some pretty grand vistas and it, like the, the way that it shot makes those vistas look nice and spectacular. Right. And I, I think it kind of adds to at least my misconception that this is just like a sex romp. I think there's quite a bit more substance to the film than just that, as we'll, we'll see. Right. And it's <clears throat> arguable if it's even a comedy, it, it could be, it, it's a, a, it's a drama. Really? Yeah. And I think as subtle as that is just the, the framing, the cinematography that created create creative decision lends a little bit extra kind of weight to that. This isn't just meant to be a disposable booby comedy, right? Yeah. And that's that. I mean, I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, we'll get into it really, but the sex comedy there is there, but this is really Mm -hmm. about a a, a midlife crisis and dealing with maturity. Yeah. I will say this is the first I've ever seen the movie because I had a complete misconception of what this movie was. I guess I was conflating the Dudley Moore Arthur character of him just being like a drunken, lascivious Cretan, right? And just peeping on boobies, which on his, well, actually, Adam's considerably in the movie. But I had a complete misconception of what this would be that he'd be just leering and it would be kind of gross with Bo Derek throughout the film. I couldn't be more kind of pleasantly surprised that, oops, I was wrong about this the whole time. Yeah, I mean, we should say up front, I mean, the iconic image, like I said, of this film is Bo Derek running down the beach. But really, Bo Derek's not really in this film until the end. For the best, too, right? So, yeah. okay, I mean, for for what it's worth, I think we can maybe kind of <laughs> walk through the plot. So it starts out with, and we're introduced to, well, I think it goes without saying, Dudley Moore is the star of this. He was a super compelling actor in this. He's unlikable, but lovable at the same time. Julie Andrews character basically says that he's really kind of gross off putting kind of like you're rooting against him in some ways. You don't want him to get rewarded, but he's still super endearing and you still kind of want him to succeed. It's a layered nuanced performance of emotional pathos in there as well as just oh laugh out loud funny at points too and i, th- I think it's a, a compliment to dudley moore and the writing in this movie because 
this character, if written or played the wrong way, could be way unlikable. And I mean, they, they push his unlikability as it is, but he manages to walk that fine line between unlikability and, and, and likability. And it's like, well, you know, you never know what alternate universe things could be, but it's like, I didn't have much exposure to Dudley Moore, but he was pitch perfect for this. But originally it was apparently George Siegel was cast in this and filmed a considerable amount of the movie. It's unclear. I, the, the stories online, why he quit is not clear to me. He like, he was jealous of Julie Andrews or something, but he left. If if that's the case, good riddance, Julie Andrews is a national treasure and I won't hear otherwise. That and like, I like George Siegel in films and stuff, but he comes like, I'm more familiar with him as like overly slimy in some stuff. I don't know if he would have like, also not for nothing. Dudley Moore is five foot nothing. (laughs) Right. Right. And that adds something to just his kind of patheticness as well. I say that is not an overly tall dude. I feel maybe safe saying that, but I mean, it just kind of adds all to it. He's pitch perfect in, in this role, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we're introduced to him. It's his 42nd uh, birthday surprise party. And what you kind of see from him is just off the bat. You, you, it's never like overtly said to you. So it's letting the audience you know, giving respect to the audience to kind of figure it out. You can tell he's not comfortable in this. There's emotional dissatisfaction. It's him aging. It's something like that. But you can tell he's not, he's putting out a bit of a facade for the people at this event and kind of trying to get out of there. Right. And kind of maybe perceiving himself is over the hill. Oh yeah. Like I said, this whole, this whole movie is about a midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. so we're seeing him and um i'm interested in your opinions in this film as we go through because i like to kind of put my finger on the pulse of like what contemporaneous people think on a film uh and i see more than a few say that this is sexist and homophobic at points but the next morning you're introduced to his so uh dudley moore's character is george weber uh, a very famous composer, Broadway plays. He's no- recognized all over the place, right? right. And he has a writing partner, um, clearly pretty Hugh. openly gay. Yeah, Hugh. Um, uh, My favorite Robert character Weber. in the movie. Oh, really? I, well, I, mean, I have a couple I mean, of other ones coming up. I mean, I kind of identified with him for obvious reasons, but sure, go ahead. So... Um, I just, you know, quick little detour. You can tell these guys have great affection to each other, right? Yeah. And there is old timey, what is now absolutely a slur thrown around at points in the film, right? But again, I think I I want to give the film a little bit of a credit to like the heart is in the right place, right? And it's of its time. I don't think that this is mean spirited towards these characters. No, here's the thing. If you're asking me, I I don't think this is sexist, but then I can't really comment on it because I mean, I'm not a woman. I don't, you know, some of the comments aren't direct toward me, but as the parts that would be homophobic, I don't think this is homophobic. Uh, this is a guy who's clearly in a, an emotional crisis lashing out and they have the kind of relationship where it's, you know, 
not too bad. And the fact that, I mean, Hugh is the one, he, they, they portray him as more mature, not only in age, but in, in wisdom. So uh, emotional um, savviness. So, I mean, if this was truly homophobic, he'd be stereotypical and he's, he's not, he's, he's pretty wise. Right. And it was a holy shit moment of several in this in casting his uh, boyfriend uh, who's running up and down the beach is uh, the Pew Mayman, the Puma man from uh, one of my favorite uh, mystery science theater episodes, by the way, <laughs> never seen that dude in anything else. And he just pops up in this as the, the boy toy for Hugh. Um, yeah. So yeah. there you go with that. <laughs> I, his name is Larry, but I just kept referring to him in my head as like the hairiest guy in the Speedo. Oh, man. 70s just hairiness. Like, guys, like, shave that a little bit. It's just gross. <laughs> when he was running and all you could see was the hair, I was like, Jimmy Khan? <laughs> I mean, it's just like right. the, the 70s hairy dudes and, you know, the stuff is always just soft putting. So anyhow, we're introduced basically, well, you see Julie Andrews in the party at the beginning, but you don't necessarily pick up that it's his girlfriend, um, you know, at that point. And Hugh kind of establishes that Dudley Moore's character is really detached emotionally, not all in on the relationship. You don't quite know what it is, but basically Hugh is telling him, you know, you're faking at the emotions are you actually feeling anything in here right and kind of setting that stage and then we're rapidly now moving into by the way is this where he goes and sees his therapist or pretty quick right after the seeing bo derrick for the first time right it was after seeing bo derrick for the first time and act it's the so he has uh, the one confrontation the first interaction with hugh and then the second interaction with hugh where hugh basically throws him out and then he, mm-hmm. you know, he he bandies about the f word, um, but and then that's when he goes to see his therapist. Who did you recognize his therapist? Absolutely, that's what I was going to ask. The wild thing was, I just saw his episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation today on cable. He's Which one? Because he's, he's in two of them. It was the Romulan defector episode. Oh yeah, where he basically gives a bunch of unhelpful advice that don't <laughs> the Picard doesn't <laughs> doesn't help in the slightest. Yeah, thanks a lot, Admiral. Well, he wasn't a bad admiral, so you know he wasn't a bad admiral, but it's just you like you know, tell me something I didn't know. By the way, I did have some engagement with fans who had no idea that we our previous podcasting life was very Star Trek centric. So we will take the slightest um, opportunity to delve back into the old comfort grounds. So yeah, it's just yes. so when he came up, it was like I know that guy, and then I had to look him up, and I yeah, I recognized a hundred percent because it's like who the hell is this? Where is he from? And you look him up; he's in a bunch of stuff, but nothing I would necessarily remembered. And then it's oh yeah, the admiral. He's just always in Picard's little screen, right? Yeah. So, anyhow, yeah. Before that though, the the plot wise, he's Dudley Moore's character is cruising around. And this is just where this is like put on your pajama pants uh, movie, just tooling around in his Rolls Royce, um, very mellow 70s music playing. And he not is just, looking around. Not just oh, mellow 70s music. We get to, you know, Blake Edwards. I mean, even though he was married to her at the time, knows what some of us want. We get to hear some of Julie Andrews singing in the background. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know you, you were very. Just enough I know you were very. 
I, I was going to say, I know you were very critical of the windmills of your mind easily listening from Thomas Cronifer, <laughs> but, but I like Julie Andrews's songs in this. Well, this one, that there's a difference. I think tonally, because this is also very much the music that Dudley Moore's character is writing. It's him longing for a different time that he's a person displaced from his time that he should be in. Right. So I think it fits much more with the film, the character, also the tone and all that kind of a thing. Right. So I think it fits the Thomas crown thing I thought is just a goofy ass song. That's just incredibly dated. And that movie should be a lot more (laughs) zip zap. Let's scat and do some fun robbing a banks. Right. It just is. It's jarring that that movie, it doesn't fit in my opinion. Humble, humble opinion. <laughs> um, but he sees all these breathtakingly beautiful women walking around. And this is some of the, you're also dating Julie Andrews, right? It's, this is where it's like a little bit of a snobbery for him of like, what the hell do you want, dude? Uh, but he's seeing these gorgeous women walking around and it's like, fuh, not for me. And he drives by, catches literally what four or five second glimpse of Bo Derek in a wedding gown in a limo going to church to be married. He proceeds to start stalking her. Um, and one, the first kind of laugh out loud part of the movie for me was this mellow, mellow music extended to it's like several couple minutes maybe. Mm-hmm. And then it just goes straight into a car wreck where he just drives straight into a cop car, right? Because he's, I know the fact fact that it's into a cop car too, is just hilarious. Right. So the thing I liked with this one is it's not just set up punchline, set up punchline, set up punchline. It waits for a little bit, lets it kind of breathe, lets you enjoy the character and then hits you with something really funny, if not kind of like absurdist at points. And I'm always kind of a big fan of that kind of a comedy pacing in this and i think it really works right because he goes into the church and he's being like really profoundly creepy right goes in sees the wedding and arguably one of my favorite parts of the movie just because it's such um a quick thing it's great in the direction and editing he gets stung by a bee in his nose just goes gah shit and then it cuts immediately away it it's fantastic, right? That's but, peak comedy there. I was going to say, by the way, did you realize that Bo Derek is marrying Flash Jones? Flash Gordon, Fla- sorry. Yes, that's another one of the crazy kind of things in here. Because I'm like, where the hell do I recognize that meaty catcher's mitt of a face? Oh, yeah, it's Flash Gordon. So, yeah, I mean, there's all over. And then, but, you know, we'll get to it, but greatest bartender in the world coming up brian Don- oh uh, yeah uh Dennehy, right like shit i'll stay in a, at a in, bar all night with him i was gonna say in a role that i don't normally associate with brian Dennehy, the, the the kind of you know mature wiser bartender yeah and just kind of like affable just chill like he's he's your wingman at the bar i'm like because i mean i, want, to me, I to, want him to be my bartender i was gonna say to me because i'm always used to brian Dennehy being a heavy Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's full out Brian Dennehy, like hot off of or right around Rambo. Right. It's right. Jarring that. Oh, this guy, I, I, I just want to be buddies with him. I'm, yeah, I'm 
tipping that dude well at night. He's giving me doubles, like not worrying about me. Like, here you go. That dude's hooking you Getting up. Getting rid of people night. for me. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> screening your calls. Like, dude, are you here? Okay, now he's out. Yeah, no. Brian Denny is your, your dude in this. Um, so crashes this wedding, gets stung on the nose. Really great makeup work through the next couple oh, scenes God, it of looks, his it just looks disgusting so, nose. Looks so painful. Right. So he... <laughs> um. I, what what's the next scene basically we're i don't know we're more or less introduced to his home life with i was gonna um, say I, the next big i was gonna say the next big scene is i think is there a conversation in bed about the meaning of the word broad before we get to that because it's another one of the oh shit that guy's in this is their neighbor that they spy on with a telescope across the ravine is don kalfka do you uh-huh. recognize what this guy's from I feel like I should, and I think I've seen the face, but where, where, remind me. Return of the Living Dead. He's the Nazi mortician uh, that they pulled okay. up in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that guy's eyes and everything make it very limited what he can kind of do. He's got the Steve Buscemi type thing going on, but I'm like, oh, shit, I love that guy, he's, too. He's got the Steve Buscemi thing going on, and yet the women are all over him. Oh, yeah, that he's like a porn producer or something. Right. So anyhow, it's whatever Dudley Moore's character has got going on. It's being rubbed in his face flamboyantly by the neighbor, Don Kalfka's uh, character, who is having orgies, sleeping with women with the windows open, just putting it all on display. Right. But it's so funny to me that apparently they have a mutual uh, voyeuristic arrangement that uh, he knows that that uh, Dudley Moore uh, knows that he's watching him and the neighbor knows that Dudley Moore's watching his orgies. So it's kind of, I, th- I thought that was funny. Yeah. And it's also funny that Kafka's character is all pissed that, you know, it's an unequal Dudley's arrangement not putting on a show. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. Like, Come on, I want to see Julie Andrews. Like, dude, look, I'm putting on a show over here for you. But that's just all the really absurdist part of this that you know I just think is hilarious, right? So yeah, yeah. Also, by the way, I think is where we did step over maybe the analyst. I mean, this is seventies. They're called analysts, right? Just fantastic dating to it. But he mentions mm-hmm. no, he puts women on some unattainable pedestal, right? that all he wants is that perfect 10. And he finally caught this glimpse of Bo Derek, right? And says that she's not a 10, she's an 11 or 12, right? So it's him putting these incredibly unrealistic expectations to some idealized image of, you know, um, the picturesque woman, right? The yeah, and it's, that kind it, of a thing. It's yeah, not... It's just it's just based on her looks. He has he has no idea what this woman's about. He doesn't even know her name at this point. I might lose my train of thought through this, but this is definitely kind of almost like those incel type things that you see online, just super predating it. Right? It's having this idealized image of you know the angel, and then when he finally sees her, he's like, "Oh, you're a slut." It's it, nobody can ever meet the idealized image of what he has. Right. But we'll, we'll get to that. 
So I don't know. Do you want to talk about the broad scene? I mean, I do like it. That What I really like about this movie and what it focuses more on, I think Dudley Moore and Julie Andrews have great interplay and on-screen chemistry. Because I, I just like the way that they argue and bounce off of each other. Oh, yeah. I mean, that argument, I mean, they're not married, but that argument really feels like it could be like two people who love each other who love taking the piss out of each other will have these fights. Like we've seen that, like the Adam's rib kind of chemistry, right? Yeah. And the back and forth of, and again, I think it's people mistaking characters for being sexist with the movie being sexist, right? Because the two main women in this movie are Bo Derek um and julie andrews there's also the woman down at the resort which we can talk about but she's kind of d wallace by the way yeah um but i will like kind of show my hand here i think both depictions bo derrick and julie andrews are very interesting fair rounded depictions of women and the broad conversation, and if, if you didn't see it, is basically Dudley Moore is trying to take the position that calling a woman abroad is just a not term derogatory of endearment, right? It, uh-huh. You know, he's calling his grandma abroad. Julie Andrews is saying that's obviously not true. I think she's playing it a little bit lighter, not realizing how like down and serious he's being with this, and that it's not half lighthearted like she's trying to do. But yeah, like they end up pulling out the dictionary and they read that it's derogatory. And I just loved her comment. Do you want to look up derogatory too? Yeah. And then when he gets really crappy about it, she's like, oh, don't be a shit heel. And I'm like, oh, this is pretty fantastic. She's not taking that crap from him, right? No, that's that's the thing is that, you know, people who want to say this is sexist or homophobic the people who you know are the targets of that quote-unquote sexism or homophobia are fully realized characters who are living the lives that they want and they know what they're about they're they're, you know even Bo Derek when we get to the end yeah she's you know a woman of loose morals but at least she knows who she is yeah and it's like I mean we'll get to that like I I don't think that's fair i I get where you're coming no i don't i'm just i'm just generalizing it but she's living the life that she wants julie andrews is living the life that she wants and she's wiser for it and And so is he yeah i mean not for nothing also look at what the character who is showing the sexist characteristics right look what the movie puts him through they torture him unrelentingly through this sting him, sting his, you know, no face with a bee, put him into a car wreck. They throw him down a hill. They throw him into the pool. They um, mess up his mouth. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's, it's like, I think that's like a little bit of like the storytelling kind of going, well, look at the guy is backwards. He's not, fair to people he's not kind to people in a lot of ways therefore we're going to make him suffer so i think right. there's a bit of movie writing magic you have to kind of take into yeah. account when you declare that's the, the other thing is it's sexist. it's like they're not they're not exactly championing championing him i mean this is this movie is about him having to learn the hard way right and because it's not much of a story in here 
the Hugh character, you see him treating Pumaman, um, like trying to dominate him, trying to control him, and you know, don't go hang out with your friends. And he's punished for it. Again, I think the movie is trying to give a little bit of a moral core. And you see that he's devastated later on of don't lose Julie Andrews because I just lost, you know, the Puma man. Right. So the movie is trying to correct, like, it's okay to show bad people. And then the movie shows you there's consequences to it. Right. So it's like, right. It's okay to depict sexism. Right. As long as it's shown in some sort of a context. And this is right. It's not, it's not being, you know, it's not being rewarded, which, you know, yeah, this movie's not the most progressive movie that's ever been made, but it's certainly not backward, a backward sex comedy. I don't think that at all. No, no. I mean, and it's also, I mean, you could say it's like some of it's exploitative, right? Because you see a lot of TNA through the telescope and you but know it, that's it, but maybe it, a little again, exploitive it's people who want to be exploited though that was a brilliant thing about the the mutual arrangement is that they know that they're being exploited and they're fine with it right so and also now for nothing like i think we maybe have complained about this or i did offline with you um i'm wanting these types of movies back and it feels like with for the better for the worse the disnification of everything kind of removes a little bit of like adult movies right either they're really kind of dirty and appealing to like teens or they're mass audience and they have to hit every family and all of china while we're at it so it takes out anything that's like the adult kind of mass movie so you go back and look at like you know the top 10 films of this it's like kramer and kramer's an adult film right this is up there it's it feels like we're losing this type of movie or it's completely gone right it's just completely gone so you know i'm lamenting having a little bit of that kind of no i i I do hear you on that film yeah yeah so i guess plot wise this is where it really makes you want to question the character because he just starts to flat out stalk um, and try and figure out who this woman was. And it's like, dude, Julie Andrews at home, you're going and now stalking after somebody. And for my money, we now have by far the best scene of the movie is he goes back to the church to just try and strike up conversations. Um, and just weasel his way into finding out who got married, Bo Derek, right? And we're introduced to the Reverend, uh, who recognizes Dudley Moore, and he's like, you know, I'm somewhat of a songwriter myself. And he performs just this god awful, but also wonderful, just wonderful song, uh, just playing it on the church organ. And Dudley Moore's character is like, it just feels incredibly genuine of just not over the top laughing at it, but he just can't stop himself from losing it with this incredibly awful song. And it's like, okay, that's great. And then we're introduced to my favorite character in the movie, Mrs. Kessel, Mrs. Kessel, Kessel. right? Old as (laughs) Moses. 
totally ha- hunched over. Hunched, can they barely, barely walk. acknowledge her. They barely acknowledge her. They just walk around her, right? Um, and she comes in, she walks into walls, she spill, and it's like the lead up again of just the slow burn of them watching her carrying over a tray of tea and just expecting it to fall, waiting, and then it falls, right? It's just everything's wonderful in there. They, the, the, the reverend being just like so like disrespectful to her, I thought was fantastic. Right. He has no idea how old she is. They kind of inherited her with the church. And can I say, uh, you know, something you don't get in, in cinema these days with, you know, the Disneyfication and the slapstick comedy, a fart joke that actually works. Oh, yeah. So there's <laughs> this huge Great Dane in there that's reacting to the song the whole time. So Mrs. Kissel is excused from the room. Um, and as she's walking out, typical just old f- person just farts as she walks out. And the Great Dane gets up and runs out of the room. The punchline is whenever Miss Kissel farts, we beat the dog. We and, beat the dog. <laughs> it's like, man, I don't know. I don't know why that worked for me so much. But for kind of like a really grounded movie to have these beats of just absurdity, it it, it really, really tickled me. Now, I can can see how it might not, but it, it hit me in the right spot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's a little bit of a gamble because, I mean, it's kind of an animal cruelty joke, but it, it, was, it was funny. I laughed. Yeah. So that leads him to he's got now the name of the 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 father, at least. Right. And the name of the daughter. It now takes him to where if I had to do anything here to, like, tighten this movie up a little bit, um, I could maybe stand to lose this sequence where he goes to the dentist, who's the father of Bo Derek, basically has a million cavities. He's numbed up and we have a long sequence of him not being able to speak to anyone. Uh, just dribbling crap out of his mouth. It sets up all these comedy of errors where he can't get into contact with Julie Andrews. She can't get in contact with him uh, and all that kind of stuff. Right. So it's like, I, I mean, this is fine. I was amused. Yeah. Well, like I said, if the, this is kind of like to steal like the definitions from um, another podcast, this is kind of a hangover movie. You put it on and it's just, it's existing there. You look up, it's pretty entertaining at any given point, but I could stand to have 20 minutes cut out of it. If I was just looking at it for like an evening, setting aside time to watch, I, I would cut this out is something, what I kind of think of. I would cut out something else, but, but um, I, I agree with you. Okay. Uh, but again, there's good kind of broad comedy in here. We're going into, I'm like, Oh, is this where I had the misconception? Like, um, Dudley Moore's character pretty much from this part uh, to the end of the movie is just ripped drunk the rest of the, the film, uh, or at least for good chunks of it. Right. Well, cause he has, Cause the, he has the brilliant, I, I was going to say he has the brilliant idea of taking his painkillers with alcohol. Oh, I've been there bad times, uh, but not for nothing in this sequence is a fantastic um, practical stunt of a stuntman going down a hill and just absolutely eating shit the whole way down just full gainers landing on his back and head um just really good stuff uh, dudley moore's character basically drunkenly falls and, down a hill right and and not just once he falls down like several times trying to get back up yes so <laughs> i mean there is again there's some good stuff in here it's not 
it doesn't drag per se, but if we had to tighten it up, I think this is where you might make some hay during that. So just wildly drunk, high as hell through this. He finds out that through the dentist, the daughter is now honeymooning in Mexico, crossing all sorts of lines. He books airfare down there, heads on down and is now rip roaring drunk in this Mexican um, beautiful, beautiful resort, by the way. Yeah, it looks nice. Yeah. Brian Dennehy behind a nice tiki bar uh, pouring double brandies. Yeah. What what a dream, right? So but, he's but, down I mean, there. But gets the, oh, uh, I was going to say, gets there, can't even find the room, has to be escorted in and then promptly collapses on the bed while, while still in his travel gear. Yes. So we're there and, you know, and here's where we start seeing some of the iconic imagery of the film, right? Like, again, my misconception is the whole movie would have been just down there in, in the Mexico resort. It's like a beach flick comedy or something like that. So we do see him starting to buddy up to Brian Dennehy's character. Again, we've touched on that. Super good dude, right? Just a great sounding board. I don't know why everybody's not at that bar, but it always seems like it's just Dudley uh, and him. Right. He starts seeing, you know, Bo Derek's character pop up uh, along with Flash Gordon, her husband, as just poking up here and there uh he can't do anything about it like the hulking man is next to him right so it's like what was your plan here dude right it's we're never really led to understand what that is right it's very juvenile right he's a very immature guy this is like if you if you gave like a i don't know a 16 year old virgin dude who has no idea how to approach women infinite resources this is what this is what would happen to yeah. yeah right so it's and like really what's i mean the plan? We'll ta- yeah we'll talk about it the only reason he gets what he thinks he wants which is bo derrick is by you know circumstance it has nothing to do with this non-existent plan oh yeah because there there is no plan i think he kind of realizes that too he's confused he doesn't know how to process whatever complex i think it, emotions it, he's feeling i think at this point the goal is to just get out of of it's Los Angeles, right? So get out of LA and, yep. and, and then just uh, get away from it all and figure his shit out, basically. Yes, but going to Bo Derek's location right. too. So no, it's no, 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 no. I, I get, that, I, right? I get that, yeah. but that's 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 essentially what's happening, though. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But it's like it, that. But do that if you're a 16 year old kid, right? Right, who's pining after a girl, like oh you know, and like, shit, I'll put myself into this, right? It's like, oh, I'll just, I'll be there and she'll, you know, value me for that. Right. It's just like complete emotional immaturity, well, immaturity again, in general. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's it's cinematic shorthand, but it's it's to show us that we're still dealing with an emotionally immature guy going through a midlife crisis, which is the theme of the film. Oh, I, I don't even think it's some cinematic shorthand i think it's just it's an interesting kind of layered character right yeah and they're not just hitting you over the head with it this is going way back to my central want from this podcast is going back to revisit these things critically and see where interesting characters were in old films right because i don't know if i always super valued that i always thought they were 
one dimensional plots or a comedy or something yeah. like that. Right. More nuanced so than a, you think. Oh yeah, absolutely. So anyhow, he's down there just getting drunk, has no idea what he's doing. This is where we have the run in with D walls, right? Um, so he's recognized by another, you know, beautiful woman down there. Um, and they try to have like a, a drunken escapade and they don't really say it, but Dudley couldn't perform in that night. Right. And it's a really kind of heartbreaking story for her. And this is where, again, it's a interesting female character and okay. they let her kind of linger with her for a while and show how this affected her right and it's not just played as purely a joke and like ha 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 get out of here she gets her like this is kind of devastating to me moment right so it's like even a little bit of care is there for that character which i thought was pretty admirable in the writing yeah no when you mentioned it now it, it is admirable this is the part of the movie that i thought was a little bit of a tangent. I mean, I didn't know mm-hmm. exactly what her character was supposed to serve. And this is the part that I would have shortened up. But now that you mentioned it, I kind of see it in a different light. That's a, so I would hear the same thing. And I think it gets to the ultimate question of like the end of the movie. If the ending is fully earned, right? Because one of the very, there's two ways to kind of read his inability to perform here, right? It's his emotional insecurity, his, because it's, we're led to believe that, you know, him and Julie Andrews aren't intimate too often. So is it, he's just wanting Bo Derek? Is it all that? Or there's the read that he has whiskey dick, right? And he definitely I was gonna would say, have, I, if he could. I mean, I don't know if you've tried to be romantic when you're drunk, but it doesn't quite work out the way that you think it will. Right. So I think (laughs) it's like there's two ways to look at that, right? The emotional reason and then the biological reason. Yes. And then just if it was slightly different circumstances, is the end of the movie as emotionally earned as the movie wants you to think it is? Right. But I think we should kind of talk about that coming up. So, okay. Anyhow, that's a nice scene. Individually, it it's all good stuff, right? Yes. But she's more or less kind of dropped, right? She does show back up. She sees him as being kind of conflicted, right? There's a really good scene where he's, Dully Moore, also, by the way, an accomplished composer and a pianist and a you know, musical performer in his own right. Right. So you see him perform stuff at points during the film and it's good and it works for the character. So there is a scene later on where he's playing basically to just Brian Dennehy and her and himself at the bar. Right. And it's loaded with his just emotional baggage and weight. And she can kind of see that and understand that, it wasn't her right it wasn't a slight against her it's it's him not being a healthy person right so there is a little bit of potential closure there uh it's not hitting you over the head with it it's nice right Uh, again very adult um in this movie that i thought was a, a 
a TNA, you know, meatballs type movie, right? So yeah. completely yeah, didn't yeah, respect yeah. the film for what it was. So we're at the beach and we see all the shenanigans of the hot sand. Um, he's now openly fantasizing, which is the most famous scene of the the movie, right? That's the mm-hmm. iconic thing that you see. Yep. It's him. Oh, Derek running starting... in cornrows. Yep. Yep. Um, cornrows, horrible, horrible thing, by the way. Um, tragic. <laughs> such a, such a bad look. Um, but uh, as an aside, the, so we're, the next kind of beat of the movie is Flash Gordon falls asleep on a surfboard and just the imagery of him just floating out there. Dudley Moore is talking to, uh, you know, Cabana Boy or whatever, saying, oh, yeah, you have to be a complete idiot. The only accident we've ever had here is somebody falling asleep on a surfboard and he got swept out to sea and it cuts to him just watching him as this little figure just floats around a rock and just goes out to the ocean. And I was just laughing. I'm like, wait, is this a fantasy scene as well? Oh, no, no. No, it's He's real. He's floating out to sea. Yes, it's just fantastic. As an, as an aside, I've, I've never heard of like going into the ocean to have your cocktail. And I was just amused by that. I don't know why. Oh, yeah. I forgot those the, the two other just dudes who just stand out there. It's like straight out of King of the Hill. They're just standing. Yep. <laughs> you know, no, I never, I never would have thought of those Cabana guys. Boy, yeah. The Cabana Boy suggests it and then gives uh, Dudley Moore a piggyback ride to the, <laughs> to the shore. So now that you mentioned this, like, um, I've gone to like, you know, Tobamori up in Canada, uh, Outer Banks in North Carolina, where there's like, very shallow water that's very still that you can just go out and stand in now that you mention it give me a nice cocktail i'll stand out there all day that is sounding pretty appealing i I was gonna say when i looked at it i thought that was odd but then i kind of want to try it oh hell yeah right (laughs) so yeah that's my summer plans now um probably not hanging out with that ex-marine and all that kind of a thing but same idea so, and by the way, when 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 he's rescuing Flash Gordon, was that a shark fin following them? Did, did I yes. hallucinate that? It, no, I think that that was there, but it's like, wait, what happened? And it kind of just moves around. There's some weird editing around that sequence because they don't even mention that he he almost got eaten by a shark. So no, it's it's a it's an odd sequence because just like poop, he's there in a sailboat rushing up to save him. Uh, he goes in the drink, but he's saved. Flash Gordon's now out of the movie, right? Because um, he's sunburned but, as hell. Yeah. Um, and there's some good scenes of Julie Andrews back in L.A. watching the news where they're talking about little Dudley Moore saved uh, this hulking man from, I guess, a shark. But nobody really talks and about she's, that. she's like looking completely incredulous. Like, how the hell did this yeah. guy become a hero? So... That's pretty much setting up in there also is, you know, Hughes broken up with his his boyfriend. We're having that as well. But it's setting up basically a really important sequence where he just decides to go to Bo Derek's room. Right. And talk to her. I really like the scene that happens before then. I, I think that Hugh and Julie Andrews have a nice scene on that on the beach where she where they both oh, reach yeah. their emotional resolution. Yeah, and this is where it is one of the parts where it is hitting you over the head, but it is important. Where it's like, why are you wanting this guy too? 
Because well, no, through this movie, it's like, what is with him? If you're going to do this scene, this is when you're supposed to do it. It's their emotional climax. Yeah. Oh, but it really works because it's like we are seeing Dudley Moore's character is having a lot of not great characteristics through it. And his closest friend and off again girlfriend at this point, it's never really been discussed where they're at necessarily, right? Are talking about him and they both kind of admit he has his faults, but he's also a genius. He's can be really endearing. He can be really smart and, or, you know, really sweet. So you can see in this, because at this point in the movie, you're really questioning, like, why is she putting any effort to him? Cause she also not for nothing. We skipped over it, caught him at the orgy, not doing anything, but just being incredibly drunk. That was funny. Naked women next to him. Uh, by the way, uh, Julie Andrews was on Ellen in the past couple years and recounted saying that she wasn't there on the set during the filming of the orgy scene, but Blake Edwards said, you got to come over here. This is hilarious. She goes over and she says, there's these two incredibly tall, like porn stars is who they hired for it, butt naked and their butts are up by Dudley Moore's head because he's just so tiny and his little <laughs> butts hanging down below. But she said it was just adorable is how she <laughs> described the orgy scenes with little, little uh, Dudley Moore. Yes. So it's very sweet. <clears throat> so he goes to her, you know, cabana, right. Or whatever. And she's immediately naked in a towel flashing him. And you can tell it's immediately he's like, oh, my God, what's happening here? Right. And at this point, he's actually pretty, pretty sober. He's gotten a little bit dry from just this kind of a thing. He's working himself up to whatever he had in his mind for this. And basically, it's like this is the first meaningful dialogue or any dialogue that we've seen from Bo Derek through the whole movie. And we're now rapidly going towards the end, last 20 minutes of the film or something like that. They go out to dinner, they come back, she's offering him, you know, weed, uh, and is like very obviously coming on to him and then overtly comes on to him. Right. Mm -hmm. But through this, it's, she's showing, she's very knowledgeable in a lot of classical music. She's not coming. And this is where I think the film could make her just dumb as a brick right um just one dimensional she was just that 10 she is quite smart right um or is giving all indications of that right very beautiful and she's being overtly sexual towards dudley moore's character but again like i said before living the, the life that she wants to live and is smart and she mm -hmm. knows what what it is <clears throat> The, the the problem being is that Dudley Moore had built her up to be the perfect 10 in his mind. And, you know, she's not whatever he fantasized about her. Yeah, he fantasized that, yes, perfect 10 physically, but he also thought she was the perfect 10 and just that unattainable, perfect, you know, the angel. Type right, thing, without right? even talking to her. That she's not a human and is perfectly fine in her beliefs and her morals and what she thinks is right. 
but it's not what he thought. And it throws him for an absolute loop because also Flash Gordon calls during, you know, during this, she hands him the phone. So it's maybe implied that this is an open marriage, right? They have an open marriage. Yeah. Probably, right? Because they said they've been living together. We only got married because of my parents, right? My dad's just right of Attila the Hun, or Genghis right. Khan, I think. And it's insinuated that, like, the husband's like, oh, yeah, have, you know, have a good good night with my wife. It's fine, right? So right. it's like, and when he goes like, aren't you bothered by this? Again, to the writing's credit and to the character's credit, she goes, no. There's this is the life that we wrong. that we've agreed on. Yeah, and I mean it stops just short of saying my husband's fine with this, right? We're adults. We make yeah, decisions. But, I mean, Nobody's being 19, hurt you, by this. You 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 get that. I mean, they don't have to say yeah. it, you get it. Oh, I, I I think I think it's there, right? Like yeah. why would she hand him the phone, right? Right. And also like their sex song is playing in the background. Bolero knows what that is too. Yeah, right. So it's like it respects her. It doesn't, he, you know, the film doesn't call her a slut or anything like that. Right. Again, you can do the movie math. The movie is respecting her as well. Right. Uh, and it's looking at Dudley Moore and the cosmic mm-hmm. karma is punishing him mm-hmm. for judging her. Right. And I was ultimately thankful for this. They don't consummate, right. He can't process what this was it wasn't what he right. had in his mind so he just, just completely com- completely completely incompatible with what he built up right and i am very pleasantly surprised how that turned out because as it's going down um you know no pun intended i am worried like oh man is that what this movie's doing is it rewarding him through this because at this point i'm like he shouldn't be with her right because this is this is the ickiness of a a potential ickiness of an old movie he stalked right he went to the church he lied to her father he flew to a different country right Uh, all this stuff this is not what he should be rewarded with so i was like oh no and he's getting ready to take it he's getting ready to get what he wants while her husband is in the hospital so i mean and that's before we kind of realize that this is a, f- a fine thing for everybody but him. So it's like, oh, okay. It subverted where I was going with it. One eighty the movie going from icky to like, oh, this is this is something different than I had and, and any to, conception it would be. And to her credit, I mean, once he figures out that they're not compatible. You know, Bo Derek just doesn't throw him out or get upset. She's just like, okay, suit yourself. Would you hit the record player on the way out? Yeah, because she still has business to do that evening, right? right. <laughs> so that's the thing. It's like, this part is great, right? So he heads home and he goes back, tries to reconcile with you know, Sam, uh, Julie Andrews character, right. Uh, who has a son who told him to piss off and all that. Piss kind of off. Stuff. I love it. Yeah. Normally, you know how we are with kid actors, but I thought, I just thought Ugh. he was, he was hilarious. You got, yeah. You know, you needed no more of that little kid in this film, like will or something like that. I forget. Um, 
So and it's like, like my mom says. My mom says I have to apologize to you. Well, only apologize if you want to. It's like fine. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You little smart ass. Yeah, I mean, be careful. That kid's gonna kick Dudley Moore's ass, right? Oh, I so. think he can kick his Dudley Moore's ass now. The way he oh, was. Yeah, at that, no, yeah, yeah. Of course. So and anyhow, of course, Sam is dating a guy with super seventies hair. By the way. Oh. Yes. I mean, he'll give Puma Man a bit of a run for his money for like the most dated 70s element of this movie, I would say. Um, So basically, it's like he handles it rather maturely, right? That she is apparently moving on. He goes home and there's like a really nice scene where he's playing just a mournful song. Again, just totally, completely correct in the movie. She comes back. And what we're kind of led to believe is that somehow George Dullymore's character has taken on some and discovered some new level of maturity here. And they basically reconcile. And one of the big things is um, Don Kalfka's character is like, finally, it's like, you know, screw you guys. You never give me anything. And the big, you know, resolution to the movie is they end up banging in front of an open window and he's not there to see it. Right. Right. I mean, we kind of skipped over a little bit of apology, really good chemistry between them. I mean, that's undeniable. But I do wonder, is this emotional pathos at the end earned? Because it is a basically 95 percent of the movie is. He's a little petulant, immature shit who just wants a hotter woman and a younger woman than Julie Andrews. He doesn't appreciate her. And then he shows a little bit of some sort of maturity. And I get that she really likes a lot of his stuff, but it's a little bit hard for me to completely accept this, but I want you if possible to argue me back towards accepting it. Cause I want to buy it. Right. I'm not looking for a reason not to. I don't think I could give you a logical reason to, to buy it, but here's what won it over for me. Okay. It was two things. It was the end, the way they ended the Bo Derek story. I agree with you. I thought it was brilliant. It was a subversion of what you thought it was going to be. It was very, you know, I, I don't use the word progressive, meaning that it's, you know, ahead of its time, but it it, it talked mm-hmm. it, about things in a very adult way. And <clears throat> I think the reason that I'm okay with going with the quick resolution between Dudley Moore and Julie Andrews is because of those early scenes where they have the perfect chemistry. If it was any other, if they, if the chemistry wasn't there in those earlier scenes, I couldn't go with the shorthand, but because it was there, I, I was able to at least emotionally go along with it yes it's quick yes it's um very um uh blunt but because of the relationship and the on-screen chemistry that those two actors had i was able to go with it i think i maybe come down on it is i the movie kind of makes you want julie andrews to do better for herself if that makes sense right it's not yeah Dudley Moore then, earning it back. It's like, I think she deserves better. She deserves better, but I think she also came to that realization of why she still cares in that scene with Hugh, which is why I like that scene too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, 
there's enough there on the page that it it's not that it doesn't completely work. It just doesn't feel completely emotionally satisfying to me. Right. Right. But, you know, I mean, again, he not from lack of wanting, he wanted to sleep with two other women and he had his pants off rubbing, bumping uglies with them. Right. That's how close that this should be to like, this is irredeemable for a relationship. Right. So right. not for nothing. That line is probably crossed for a lot of people as well. Right. Cause they never, I don't know if they ever had any official break. Right. He just well, but, fucked off I mean, to Mexico but, at one point. Yeah. But at the same time, day. when she caught, when she caught him at the orgy and she storms off, you know, rightfully so you say they oh, have an on again, op- you say they have an on again, off again thing. The fact that they're off again, I think makes it, not okay, but at least it's for me. It's not an irredeemable crossing of the line because they're they're off right now. So I mean, yeah. I, I mean, don't I don't want to dwell maybe, on it. I think it's it's maybe, not maybe maybe I have lo- maybe I have looser moral standards, but you know, <laughs> yeah. Embrace more of the Bo Derek mentality, right? So I think we're kind of at the end. Matt, do you want to tie it off? Uh, final thoughts? Does it stand the test of time? I actually think it does because I mean, yes, it, it's it's a very much product of the seventies, and um, there, there's a lot of emotional immaturity to it. But at the same time, this is about it, you know, going from immaturity, growing into becoming an adult. And I really think that this is more than what the advertising and the well-known things in popular culture would have you believe. I I mean, like you said, it's not an amazing film; it's a good hangover film. But I had a genuinely good time watching this, and and I really I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm pretty much in lockstep. I would say there. The I know this has gotten in those AFI top whatever comedies or somethings of all time. I don't think this should necessarily be on that. I don't think it necessarily should be in the Library of Congress type of all time classic. But it's pretty solid. It's at least for me, like you said, it's not what I think the expectation of it is right. It does have a lot more kind of depth to it than you might kind of appreciate. Um, I would maybe kind of recommend going to see on YouTube, the contemporaneous review from Siskel and Ebert. They both love this. Uh, Siskel said, this is not a comedy. It's a drama. It's just flat out a character drama. Right. And I'm like, oh, I pretty much agree with that. Ebert loved it. It's um, it's a pretty solid film. It, it stands the test of time. Cut out 20 minutes and I think you got a pretty good banger on your hand. So there you go. I am ultimately happy that I got exposed to that one. Right. So, Matt, I don't know how many boobies are going to be in our selections for March, uh, but one can hope. Right. So it is now reverting back to my opportunity to pick. So I will say the random number generator did me good this time around. So my options include 1956's Forbidden Planet, a futuristic version of Shakespeare's The Tempest. A little odd kind of a choice for a description for TCM. It's accurate, but I don't know. I would have kind of gone 
a little bit flashier than that. Uh, starring Liam Neeson, or uh, not Liam Neeson, uh, Leslie He's not Nicholson. that old. <laughs> well, no, I got thrown off because he's the new star of the new Naked Gun movie that they're doing. So anyhow, uh, 1952's The Big Sky. Trappers lead an expedition against river pirates and Indians along with along the Missouri River. Kirk Douglas. We have a lot of opportunities for Kirk Douglas films, and, by the way. And a Howard Hawks film. Oh, yes, you're right. 1942's Now Voyager. A repressed spinster is transformed by psychiatry and love for a married man. Betty Davis, right? And Claude Rains. I kind of love me some Claude Rains, by the way. Let me just tell you now, if if my mom was doing this podcast, this would be her (laughs) thing. Because she loves Betty Davis and she absolutely loves Now Voyager. Really? Okay. Yeah. That was the one I was, you know, least familiar with, uh, or aware was a thing actually, um, on this list. 1971's Clute. A low-key small town detective journeys to New York City to investigate the murder of a friend and discovers that both the killer and the victim were clients of the same high class call girl. Jane Fonda, Donald Sutherland. And finally, 1940s, The Great Dictator. A Jewish barber takes the place of a war-hungry hungry dictator starring Charlie, Charlie Chaplin. Chaplin. Yes. So, I even right now, I'm not entirely sure which one I want because there are at least a couple bangers in there that I think we could really sink our teeth into. But, yeah. Matt... Where do you think I'm going? Where do you want me to go? I could be convinced actually on this one. I mean, all Genuinely. these are kind of all these are kind of interesting. I'm not necessarily a a western guy, but I mean, Howard Hawks just makes good movies. So, I mean, I wouldn't be supposed to the big sky. But um we had this conversation when you uh sent me the list this time and just knowing you from our, you know, long friendship, we've known each other about 10 years now. Um we both started off as sci-fi guys and you know I, I i think i told you if somehow you didn't have a 3d or miniature version of robbie the robot from forbidden planet somewhere in your man cave i would be disappointed and you can't see it listeners but he's holding up exactly what i told him he had which is a figurine of robbie the robot um, it's been forever since I've seen Forbidden Planet, but I remember it being a good film. Uh, I don't know. I honestly don't know what I want, but that would have been my guess as to what you would have picked simply because I know your love of, of older sci-fi. I mean, we talk all the time offline about you reading these older, um, sci-fi novels by Arthur Clarke and, you know, the, the Rama's books and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, yeah. I, I know I know it's a film that you were definitely considering. Well, I'll just say that much. But I honestly don't know because, I mean, Clute sounds really cool. Uh, even The Great Dictator, I don't know too much about it. But, I mean, I'm not seeing a Charlie Chaplin talkie. I mean, I'm familiar with his uh, his silent work more, more than anything. So – um i so i'm gonna kind of maybe talk through it now um and get to that so i it's down to the forbidden planet and the great dictator right so i've seen both i adore both 
um, the great dictator, Charlie Chaplin, it is largely, he, he's still in the Charlie Chaplin mode, right? It is, it is a talkie. He doesn't speak a ton through it, but that movie is notable for having arguably the greatest monologue speech in cinema history, right? Really? It's, it's him. It, it might be his first time ever speaking on film. I forget the exact trivia, right? But through the whole film, he's more or less mute. And then he speaks and has one of the most unbelievable, heartbreaking, show-stopping rebukes of fascism ever, ever captured, right? And it's 1940. It's one of the first, maybe him or like the Three Stooges. I forget. They came out the same year. But it's like the first Hollywood rebuke of Hitler, right? Because Germany was such a huge consumer of Hollywood. They didn't want to upset that market, right? Right. And, and, we, and we weren't even the, the, F that. We weren't even the war yet when it came out. Right. So it's like I think there it's very interesting to see how that applies to today, right? The old timey hits of fascism are making their comebacks, right? So there's something to be said for that one. And if you can look past Robbie the Robot on cam, behind me are 2000 science fiction paperbacks ranging from 1950 to present day, right? That is my wheelhouse. It's my my passion, right? Um, it's a wonderful film. Uh, I think I'm just going to... Uh, it will be the Forbidden Planet. I don't want to overthink it. There's just so much awesomeness. I was going to say there's we, we haven't gotten to do an old time sci fi. I mean, I know we did the 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 Moonwalk movie, but that wasn't the same thing. And I yeah. I, I don't think you were going to I don't think you were going to give up an opportunity to talk about this era of sci fi. So I don't want to overlook it, but one hundred percent go watch The Great Dictator. It's great, right? But if you don't do that go look at the um, the clip on youtube it assuredly it's on there of him giving the speech at the end it's just him staring into the camera acting his tits off it's amazing right so go watch that uh but yeah we'll be covering forbidden planet next month so look for that it should be on uh march 11th 5 a.m., which is a weird slot to bury an amazing movie, I would say. That's maybe one of the weirder slots, but I don't know what kind of awesome TCM kind of programming they might have going on. But stay tuned for that. Anyhow, the show doesn't have to be over. The conversation doesn't have to be over. Definitely reach out and let us know if you think that the emotional end of 10 was earned. Should Julie Andrews have kicked that little scrawny uh, dude to the curb, right? Um, she could have done better. Continue that conversation over on email. We can be found at tcmchallenge at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook. Find us at TCM Challenge. We're kicking about on Twitter as well, but I can be found there individually at uh, Pro Sub Zero. Talking about movies, talking about all these science fiction books. I'm working through my Star Trek Picard. If you're one of the uh, Trekkers who came over from the old show, I'm holding my nose, getting through season two to get to hopefully the promised land of season three. But, you know, swing by there, continue the conversation. Pro Sub Zero. Matt? Well, first things first, the first two episodes of season three are out. 
and it is by far the pro- way more than the promised land i just will say oh. it's it's so good and i'm not alone the, all the critics who who dislike the first two seasons agree with me it's currently sporting 100% in rotten tomatoes and that those are a lot of the I critics that didn't like it <laughs> i just got to get there you could just skip right ahead i'll just tell you there's not a whole lot that carries over from season 2 dude um, i'm a completionist right so i i can't do that but once you get there, it, it, it is the promised land. So just putting that out there. Um, you can find me at mhanson0207 on Twitter talking about all things, including Star Trek Picard Season 3, old movies, and I'm about to get back into my horror mode for next month when uh, Scream 6 comes out, which, of course, I'm looking forward to. Wow, that crept up quick. All right. With that, Matt, it's always a pleasure. So join us next month when we talk about the Forbidden Planet. Again, be on the lookout for that. Uh, March 11th, 5 a.m. Set your DVRs, you know, subject to change on there. But with that, I'm Matt in Buffalo. And I'm Matt in Arizona. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the TCM Challenge. Until next time, we will be incommunicado. And in case you were wondering where that is, it's about 20 miles due east and then make a left turn.